As you can see, tonight we kind of flipped the scripts. Normally we have the kids. Miss Emma and I are in the, one of the other rooms here in the synagogue. And we're telling stories to each other about how God loves us and cares for us and does amazing things. And tonight we decided to share all of that with you. So I'd like us to start by doing something that we all do together every Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. If everyone could please stand up just for a moment. Just please stand up and join me in saying the Shema. The Shema is from Deuteronomy 6, and this is what Jesus quoted when someone asked him, what's the most important commandment? So do it with me. Here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Thanks for participating in that. You can all sit down. And thanks for joining us in this reminder of who we are called to love. Christmas is a wonderful time to do so, because it's such an iconic and nostalgic time. Come on, join me. People revel in cold winter spent in community, shopping for gifts and for food for loved ones. And then they return to decorate their homes in Christmas finery and to enjoy each other's company. Now, for me, my ideal Christmas took place at age six. This is a Filipino Christmas carol called Open the Window, which is inextricably tied to my Christmas childhood. Imagine it. It's December 24th, 1982. I was sitting in a midnight service in Holy Angels Church in Colma, California, in the choir loft, along with my father and my sister Karen. Mom was working the graveyard shift at the hospital in the city, and we'd see her at 9 a.m. So for now, it was just my dad and Karen singing, joining the choir, accompanying the worship service, and singing songs in Tagalog, in Spanish, and in English. Me? I was staring out the window to the street below, watching the rainfall, staring at those streetlights, and perfectly blissful. After service ended at 2 a.m., we drove home, and before we went to bed, Dad said we could open up one present, just one. I picked up the present that my aunt from New York had sent me, I tore open that wrapping paper, and there it was. Optimus Prime. The best-selling toy of that year. The greatest Transformer in my hands. I had that bad boy in my possession. I was at home on Christmas Eve. My dad and my sister were there when I went to bed. My mom would be there when I would wake up. And everyone was happy and safe, and all was right with the world. That was my ideal. And moments like these remain our ideals for what the Christmas season was like when we were younger. But for many of us, that ideal no longer exists. Where'd it go? We got older. We got wiser. We were given more responsibilities. We have projects at work to finish before the end of Q4. And we have shopping to get done for our loved ones. And we have to get home 
along with everybody else in the Bay Area, at the exact same time. And all around us, the world seems to be going to H-E double hockey sticks in the handbasket. Cruelty to the least of our brothers and sisters. Homelessness in the midst of the greatest assembled wealth in history. Unending war. Am I the only one who feels overwhelmed by all this the most, at the most wonderful time of the year? This is our world. And within it, our personal lives go on. We keep our struggles to ourselves as quietly as we can. The Christmas season can be a very lonely time of year when we come to the end of sometimes what is a very difficult year. Some of us are without jobs. Some of us are without homes. Some of us are just barely holding on financially. Some of us are spending Christmas without our loved ones for the very first time because we disagree about politics or faith or who we choose to love because we've rejected them because they've rejected us or because death has taken them away from us. Some of us who once saw Christmas as a time of acceptance now see it as a reminder of what we lost. Can we get that feeling of Christmas joy back? I think so. And I think that the Bible points out three things that we can do in moments like this. First, know that there is good in this world. This can be hard to do, especially when you see and hear and feel pain and loss. We're human, right? And we tend to reinforce what we believe by finding supporting evidence. It's called confirmation bias. And it can lead us to dismiss anything that doesn't fit into our existing views. The truth is, there are good things happening all around us. Good things in ourselves, in our world, in our life. Accept it. Every cloud has a silver lining. New growth comes after devastating fire. Destruction is a part of a cycle of renewal. Those are all sorts of sayings that call to mind this idea. In the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, the Apostle Paul talks about his struggles and the struggles that we all experience when we live a life for Jesus and how it can bring a lot of pain. But he always says, it's worth it. No matter what you go through, no matter what you experience, something good can come of it. He's trying to get the people of Philippi to see beyond what is just in front of them. And he encompasses this desire to see value in the midst of pain by saying, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Essentially, he's saying, hey, you see that thing over there that's good? There's your proof that our life is more than struggle and suffering. Hey, see this thing right here? This person right here is lovely? This is what's possible if you keep your head up and keep looking. See that thing over there that's excellent? That is a sign of the good that God is bringing right now. So join God in his work. Keep going. And that brings us to our second point. Take the long view. Now, again, we're human, right? So we tend to think of our circumstances as permanent, all-encompassing. If things are good now, then they'll be good tomorrow and next week. But if things are bad now, then they'll be bad tomorrow and next month and next year and forever. The truth is that our circumstances can change, and sometimes for the better. By take the long view, I mean try to look down the road 
at the future of what could be and try to interpret what is happening in the present as necessary for that future. Think of the Christmas story. The people within it were experiencing difficult present circumstances, but for a future purpose. Mary was an adolescent and pregnant under unusual circumstances. Joseph was engaged to a young woman who is now pregnant and not by him. Those circumstances would bring societal scorn and shame as well as physical pain. But Mary and Joseph went through it because they could see the point of it. Going through it would mean the birth of the Messiah and the fulfillment of God's rescue plan for creation. So as Paul wrote to the church at Rome, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Thanks, Paul. So you look at your pain, and thank God for what you'll do through him, right? Easier said than done. Our pain can stifle our joy. Our suffering can drown out our hope. And a platitude like, everything happens for a reason, or God won't let you go through something you can't handle, those things can be verbal salt in a wound. The timing of Paul's wisdom may be wrong at times, but it's absolutely true. And history shows us that major societal changes occur at an incremental rate. For example, the struggles against slavery, servitude, poverty, and Jim Crow, those all led to the civil rights movement of the 1960s. But it took 400 years of blood and struggle to get there. And we still have a long way to go. The moral arc of the universe does bend towards justice, but we're sure not moving as fast as we want to. And our impatience can lead us to hopelessness. If we're so used to looking at our own situations or sticking our head in the ground, it's hard to accept Paul's wisdom as true. So here's the third thing we can do. Live vicariously through others. Some people think that to experience life by seeing it through the lives of others is a problem, as though it's a futile escape or coping mechanism, as futile as overindulging in food or movies or alcohol, social media, games, anything to help us cope. Indulging too much in these things is a problem, but that's not what I'm talking about. By living vicariously, I'm talking about living life with people and in the midst of your circumstances, finding joy in what they find joyful. For example, I have a confession to make before you, God, and everyone else. I don't like Disneyland. I'm sorry, I don't like Disneyland. I can't do it. When I was a kid, sure. You know, I saw the novelty in all of it. The rides, the environment, the characters, the atmosphere. But as an adult, I can't do it. All I think of is, I could be in Shanghai right now interacting with new ideas, or I could be in Nairobi and seeing a different way of life. Heck, I could be in the Starbucks down the street from Disneyland, chatting it up with those locals and getting a lot more out of the experience than being in the happiest place on earth. Marketing. Disneyland does nothing for me. So I was not happy when a group of kids from my old church wanted to take, to take a large group down to Disneyland, and I had to be the chaperone. And when I got there, well, this is me sitting on Main Street waiting for the, uh, the electrical parade to go by. I was a stick in the mud. 
But then I couldn't help but see the joy in the kids' faces. And although I wanted to dismiss it all as corporate brainwashing, bent on turning the masses into mere consumers, here were these kids that I loved, that I wanted to see happy. If I loved them, I had to stop being a stick in the mud, see Disneyland as they did, and take part in their experiences. And I did. And watching them light up here when Cinderella's castle was lit up, and seeing their giddiness while standing in line for the Jungle Cruise was actually a fun experience. Who knew Disneyland could be fun? In the first letter of the church at, uh, that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, this church was actively debating what was good and right and honorable. And Paul wrote to them, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. By this he meant, look, you can do what's good for you but that action may not be what's best for those around you. See the situation from their eyes. Recognize that you might need to make a personal sacrifice, in this case, not being miserable, so that they can find joy. This is one of the blessings of being around kids. Sometimes you can't help but adopt their optimistic perspective on life. And I think this is what Jesus meant when he said this. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I know, I know, you're thinking, typical, he's, we're talking about kids, and so he's pulling up this Bible verse that everyone uses when we talk about kids at church. I know, I know. It's so cliched. Yeah, but it's right. The ability to trust, to move on from difficulties, and put your whole self, your presence, in what's in front of you. To live with hope. Those are absolutely childlike traits which we can lose as adults and which we absolutely need to regain to be who God made us to be. Now, I'm listing all of these actions. Know that there's good in the world. Take the long view. Live vicariously through others. And there are three of dozens of bits of advice that are doled out as pop psychology and in complete earnestness by all sorts of people throughout our society. These actions are not done in order to forget or ignore our pain. They're to recognize that even in the midst of these things, God is moving. There is hope. And because of all this, we can keep going. These actions are all also related concepts. And I can sum them all up in one phrase. love someone. I can love someone, and because this person who I choose to love, as imperfect as they might be, that person is worthy of love. Yes, there is good in this world. I can love someone, and because this person who I choose to love deserves that hopeful future, yes, I see hope for the future. I can love someone, and because I love this person, I can experience joy through their joy. So yes, I live vicariously through that person and experience their joy. Loving someone, anyone, makes it possible for us to experience joy, even in the most difficult times of our lives. And we are loved by God. It's no mistake that Jesus' great commandment is to love God and to love our neighbors. 
Loving those around us gives us purpose in times when we feel aimless. Gives us roots when we feel adrift. Gives us hope when nothing seems to be right and good and worthy of love. All of your circumstances could be hellish. But just one circumstance is, I love someone, can make life worth living and living completely. That love doesn't even have to be returned. The act of valuing someone is valuable in itself. So that goofy person sitting next to you, young or old, who is so happy that they bounce, ask them why. Be happy when they're happy. In fact, bounce with them. That person that pains you to be around because they keep doing the wrong things and they hurt themselves and others, think about the good things within them and dream about how those things can be nurtured. And then if you have it in you, try to nurture those things in them. That family member who's rejected you, send them a message of love. Let them know that even though they may not return that love, you still love them. That person who is in the midst of being without family, or who has lost a loved one and is missing their presence in this season, become their family. Invite them out. Invite them over. Spend time with them. Show them love. That tragedy in the world that is a manifestation of violence, injustice, and poverty, and that seems like it will never end. Realize that every step we take, no matter how small or trivial we may consider it to be, is a movement toward the hope of the kingdom of God, where out of the stump of the David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old roots. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. And this child, Jesus, came out of love for us so that we might have life and life to the full. So, how can you find joy this season? Well, if you ask Freddie Mercury, he'll say, Oh, mm-hmm.